A wild one in Starkville. The party continues in Starkville. He's a pleasant lad from Starkville. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, anything happened in baseball since the last time we spoke? <laughs> it's mid-January. Pretty quiet, right? Yeah. Just, uh, the question is, did anything not happen <laughs> in baseball? In <laughs> right. I mean, right. just absolutely steamrolled, steamrolled by information here. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we're going to try to get to all of it. Now, we had a Hall of Fame election this week. We'll definitely get to that. Uh, just for the record, though, I was not the knucklehead who did not vote for Derek Jeter. <laughs> but before we, before we delve into that part, uh, I want to ask you something that you casually mentioned to me after the Astros cheating penalties were announced. And, Doug, here's my question. You played nine seasons in the big leagues. Did you ever steal a sign? Or did any team you ever played for ever ask you to steal a sign in nine years? Yeah. The Well, the only – it's strange. I, I was trying to figure this out. I know it's always discussed about – you know, between each other about, okay, this guy's doing this or it's the second sign after two. But the only time I remember really actively discussing a strategy was in Texas in 03. And we we kind of came out of it like, okay, this could be possibly something we use. And it, it didn't really materialize. I know, I know for me, you know, something like, okay, when you know the signs from second base and you could see them, you kick the bag to tell people that you got them. And then where you put your hands on your, your knees, your legs, your thighs would be sort of how you'd relay it. Now, this was not obviously using drones and in-game feeds. So this is well within the realm of, of legality, so to speak. But it, um, I, I, it was, it was kind of uncomfortable because for starters, I'm also a base stealer. So I'm thinking I need to steal and advance on a ball in the dirt. And I'm worried about kicking bases and where my hands are. And plus, you know, pitchers, once they see that, if they, if they detect that someone's getting hit in the back or something crazy. So I don't know. It didn't really materialize. And I didn't think, you know, something that we were that serious about. And we had one of the greatest lineups I'd ever seen with with A-Rod and Palmero and Juan Gonzalez and Michael Young. And it, it, those guys just could flat out hit anyway. So uh, it just sort of fell off. But it was it was a little bit disconcerting at first to, to even talk about it. Wow. I, yeah, I, I find this kind of amazing because you know, we, we think that there's this whole subculture in baseball of of players and coaches who are so you know they're tr all they do all day is try to steal signs or try to figure out who you know which pitchers are tipping which pitches and i i mean it sounds like you didn't play that long ago but in the time that you played it really wasn't much of a thing is that what you're telling me well i don't think it was a thing certainly on an espionage level it was understood that you were more <laughs> you know you were more at fault if you didn't guard your signs and so if your catch up set up high in a crouch to block a ball in the dirt in anticipation of a curveball, that's your fault. And I'm stealing second on that particular play. If you if you tilted your hat down as soon as you went home, I'm stealing second base. Like we, those tips and that exchange and sharing that information was completely legitimate. And it showed a certain skill set. 
it wasn't you know technologically enhanced it was just sort of you know what you did by your own studies so i think it was fair game and and so in some ways it it wasn't a thing because it was it was not a thing because of something controversial but it was a thing because that was actually part of your preparation for playing a team and it was accepted uh, it's it's now the the turbo uh, you know escalation with now technology and your ability to implements things in real time that's changed things and that's why we're sitting here facing this scandal with the Astros and 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 the league you know this is just to me it's huge because it's also a technological assessment of where we are as a society even all right let's not let this go yet uh, because you got me thinking so yeah again you played nine years in the big leagues if a team that you played for a coach a manager a teammate ever asked you to bang on a trash can or even said, hey, when you when you go to bat tonight, if I bang, if you hear me banging on a trash can once, that means a changeup's coming. What would you have done? What would you have said? How would you have reacted? I mean, it's it's tough to answer that because it probably depends on sub, to some degree where you are in your career. And I know it sounds strange, but you know, if you're if you're a rookie and you're coming up, especially in the time frame I came up, you know, it's it's a scary proposition to be confronted with that and not feel like you have a choice. Uh, I mean, certainly if they're saying I'm going to bang on the trash cans anyway, whether you want them or not, that's a that's already one issue. And there's people like like take a Scott Rowland. Uh, he didn't want anything. He didn't want any extra tips or any advantages or anything that we might glean, even in the framework I just described earlier. He just like, I don't want to know. He said, but if you're going to steal third, steal it. Don't be jumping around over there. That's what he'd say. So, you know, <laughs> I, I just, you know, so you're a veteran or you're an orchestrator. Obviously, that's different. But I, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like that level of communication where it's sort of blatant. You know, that to me maybe would have been the line crossing from what was a subtle understanding about, okay, we're sharing this information and, you know, they got tips and all that as opposed to like, hey, we're banging on trash cans and we're telling everybody. And it was just more subtle. It was it was you talking to the guy on deck that, you know, when this guy goes to, you know, his shoulder, he's getting pine tar and putting it on the ball or whatever it is. You you just had that kind of one-on-one personal scope, but the, the sort of mass quantities now of information exchange, which is part of the analytics revolution, makes it very easy. And, and it, I'm sure it feels pretty natural to just share things in bulk. So you can see how conspiracies and group think starts to take over. It's not You're not going to keep that information today to yourself or whisper to the on-deck hitter or decide who wants it or not. It's going to be a community uh, issue, which is why it's gone completely off the rails, because of the speed at which you can exchange information is actually what made this more pernicious uh, as and, and how the Astros use it for the World Series and previously. All right, we're going to get back to this. Uh, we got a lot more conversation coming about sign stealing and all the all that tremors from uh, what I keep describing as a seismic week in baseball. But first, let's explain how this podcast works for people who might have just stumbled into this thing thinking we'd be talking about Mississippi State or something. Um, We divide this podcast up into innings. We start every inning with a trivia question. And you can find the first four innings pretty much everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn. Uh, just about everywhere, podcasts are disseminated. 
but we have bonus innings available only on The Athletic app and on The Athletic website. So if you want to keep listening after those first few innings and get a 30% discount on a subscription to The Athletic, just click on that link where you found us in the first place. Everybody up to speed on that part? Now let's play our game. All right, Doug, here is the first inning question. When Derek Jeter got elected this week, that meant we had now had a first ballot Hall of Famer elected in the last seven elections in a row. Mm. But guess what, Doug? That's not the longest streak in history. There was actually an eight-year streak, 1988 to 1995. Uh, that was the heyday of the Doug Glanville baseball fandom. <laughs> so here's your assignment. I want you to name just three oh. of the first ballot inductees between 1988 and 1995. Your heroes. Ooh. Come on, man. Yeah, it, you know it should. That's I know that should work, but why is it? Do I does it not work for me? <laughs> uh, remember, I'm like captain, captain unobvious. Like when I when it's a clear answer, I'm like what? <laughs> so. 80, uh, well, let's try like Mike Schmidt. When was he inducted? Michael Jack. That That's correct. He was one. Okay. Okay. How about Carlton Fisk? Carlton Fisk was after that. Ah. So you're already uh, Tom Seaver? Tom Seaver was one of them. Okay. Um, 90s. You're 90s. Only in now, aren't you? Uh, I got to think. The great 80s. Uh, Joe Joe Morgan. Joe Joe Morgan is correct. Uh All right. Uh, Here's the rest of the list. Willie Stargell, Johnny Bench, Carl Yastrzemski, Jim Palmer, Rod Carew, Red G. Jackson, and a guy I thought you'd name, Steve Carlton. Yeah, he was next. Yes, he was next. (laughs) But we we digress because we're really talking about Derek Jeter and – let me talk about Derek because he's your longtime former teammate for what, like 15 minutes? Something like that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> a, a Doug guy, I'm sure you heard he got elected to the Hall of Fame. You probably also heard he came within one vote of being uh-huh. the second unanimous Hall of Famer in history, uh, Mariano Rivera obviously being the other last year. 397 voters, 396 of them voted for Derek Jeter. And Doug, I just want to oh. issue a reminder that it is our job here to maintain perspective like real grown-ups. So here's the grown-up perspective. We just got 99.75% of a big group of people to agree on something. They agreed yes. that Derek Jeter is a Hall of Famer. Now, Doug, you're a pretty worldly guy. You pay attention to our planet. Does it feel like 99.75% of the people that you are aware of agree on anything? Anything? No. <laughs> Not these No. Days. Correct. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Um, so, like, we should be proud of the voters because we agreed at a rate of 99.7%. But is that the world we live in? Is that what people care the most about? E- You know the answer. They don't. They don't care that we all agreed because one person didn't agree. There was one person who didn't vote for him. And, Doug, I have to admit, even in my attempts to 
to maintain perspective. I'm disappointed. I'm curious. So what do you think? Do you think that this voter who didn't vote for Derek Jeter was a writer from Boston? Maybe a Giambi brother? Could it have been uh, the fan whose lap Jeter landed in when he did that dive against the Red Sox? You know, he probably splattered nachos all, all over the guy's favorite shirt. Uh, was it possibly somebody who actually had a logical reason? Not that I can see any logical reasons not to vote for Derek Jeter. You, do you have any theory on this whatsoever, my friend? I, I only have one theory, uh, and that would be <laughs> yes. That would be the hanging Chad. It's it's the hanging really? Chad. Yes, uh, I think they actually the- punched the ballot, and it didn't quite go through, <laughs> and um, they just mistakenly thought it was a, a mistake of. I guess hole punching inability and incapabilities, and that's about it. I think is it's a hanging chat <laughs> issue, and and it was just a kind of miscount. So I think you just do a recount, and we we solve this whole problem. Yeah, I got news for you. There's no chads. There's no holes. There's no punching. Uh, there's none of that. You just you have a you have a sheet of paper. You check off the names. That's how it works. Okay. So I I think I'm I'm convinced, even though you know the. There'll be a larger group of voters who reveal their ballots uh, coming up in a week. Uh, but I, I'm going to guess <laughs> we're never going to know. Whoever did this is never going to tell us <laughs> that who they were, why they were. This is going to go down as one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of our lifetimes. It'll be like Stonehenge and Bigfoot. And now right alongside them, Derek Jeter's missing vote. Just want to get that out of my system. But Doug, uh, I mentioned this. You were Derek Jeter's teammate once. Not in any actual games or anything, but for a few weeks of spring training. So uh, like, what what do you want the world to know about Derek and what I'm assuming was your unforgettable time together? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I did know him a long time because in spring training in Tampa, I used to work out down there and, and uh, you know, hung out with him a little bit. And so, yeah, I knew him well enough. And I watched him evolve. We played against him in the Arizona Fall League, and he had that signature inside-out swing. Uh, you know, not a lot of pop, you know, but he he started to develop that, obviously, over time. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a blast to go to Yankee Spring Training. Uh, I, I think I think of something off the field, actually. Uh, when my wife was pregnant with our first, who is our son, who is now 11, uh, I was already out of the game for a few years, and I still was in touch with Jeter. I had a cell phone, and we knew what our son's name was going to be, and I was painting the nursery in our, in our house. And it was a really cool baseball nursery. It had a, a border of baseballs. It had you know autographed balls and all these kind of pieces of memorabilia. It was a lot of fun. And I had a bat rack with a hanging where you just sort of stick the uh, handle part and it hangs kind of straight down. And, you know, you've, I'd written not long before about the, you know, the Mitchell Report and all the steroids, and I kind of went through my list. And I, and I said, okay, who would I really want a signed bat by of anybody in baseball? And I actually at the time had A-Rod's bat and and Mike Piazza and and Bagwell. I'd, I'd collected a lot at the end of my career, but I didn't have a Jeter bat. So... That day, I texted Jeter and said, hey, man, you know, one real big favor, 
is I wish he would autograph a bat personalized to my son. I'd really appreciate that because when I thought about it, you're really the first guy I'd want that kind of re- represents everything I think the game should embody. And I want, you know, to have the honor of you put, you know, of putting your bat in his room. And so he said, sure, just send me your address. So I texted it. And the next day, Federal Express overnight, the bat arrives right on our porch. You know, he literally signed it and sent it. So, so, you know, it's just, um, you know, always made me think of him in that light. So even when he was retiring, I I talked to him. I, I, I said, I actually wrote him a handwritten card when he retired. And, you know, and we used to joke about a lot of things about getting married and all these things and, and things, how things, every time I saw him when I was covering the game after I retired, I had another child. <laughs> so now we have four and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind you. So, so I, you know, that, <laughs> that kind of sums up Jeter to me and in, in, in a lot of ways, I could, there's plenty of baseball stories, but you know, that bat, which of course we still have is something that I'll always remember about him. Hey, that's great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I wonder if Tyra Banks ever autographed a home plate and sent it <laughs> That's huh? true, but, but uh, huh? this, the bat trumps the plate, I think, right here. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's you, 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 that's a, this is a story of yours that I'd never heard. It's a really good one, but I, I do want to tease this. Some, at some point this year, you're going to tell that Tyra Banks story again because we never get tired of it. <laughs> All right, I, I'm just going to tell uh, a quick Derek Jeter story of mine. Uh, I, I, look, I always liked dealing with Derek. I, I never covered the Yankees, so I didn't have to cover him every day and ask him about that play in the sixth inning. And, you know, that that's the stuff that kind of wore him out. <laughs> and his answers w- kind of wore the beat writers out. But uh, I did like it when I had a real topic. Because to, he was – one of the things that I really admire about Derek Jeter, one of the most approachable superstars ever. Just – he was available. Like if you went to a Yankees game, spring training workout, whatever – at some point, that guy was going to be at his locker. You could talk to him. That's not true of everybody, right? So I was writing a piece. Um, this is actually, I believe, in my Wild Pitches book. It's And it's about how what separates the truly great players and champions from everybody else is their ability to play with focus and energy every inning of every game. And Derek Jeter is like the poster boy for this whole argument, right? So uh, I'm doing this piece, and I'm talking to Andy Pettit about Jeter. And he says, i got a question you should ask Derek. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I want you to ask him, has he ever mailed in at bat? That's a fun question, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I go up to Derek, and I tell him what I'm doing. And we have really good talk about this story because this is right up his alley, right? This is something that people don't often ask him about. But then I said to him, I have a question for you. Have you ever mailed in an at-bat? And he said, what? (laughs) I said, yeah, let uh, let me repeat. Have you ever mailed in an at-bat? He said, what do you mean by that? I said, you know, you go up and you, you, you know, you kind of zone out. And the next thing you know, you're going back to the dugout and you just never like your head wasn't in the at bat. He said, no, never. He said, look, I, I've had some times I've gone 
back to the dugout and said, why did I swing at that pitch? <laughs> but mail in and at bat, I would never do that. And so true, right? That's so true. Like I, I, the thing I love about Derek Jeter that separates him from the rest of the planet was every game mattered. Every inning mattered. Every pitch of every at bat mattered. Every play mattered. I told the story in the air at MLB Network uh, the other day. I love that dive that we kind of joked about earlier because he had that voice in his head that said, this ball's got to be caught. Not everybody has that voice. And that, to me, is what defined him. Okay. I've said my piece. (laughs) Let's move along. Second inning, Doug. Here's your second inning question. Uh, Larry Walker. Uh, How about the trajectory of Larry Walker's path into the Hall of Fame? He went from 15.5% of the vote in 2016 to 76.6% of the vote this year. That's a 61% (laughs) increase. It's the biggest ever, the biggest in the history of voting. So here's my question. Who do you think made the second biggest four-year voting jump in modern baseball Hall of Fame voting history? Here's my my only hint. This has happened pretty damn recently. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking it had to be recent. And um, how about, wow, I've got to jump. Maybe Harold Baines? Harold, no, Harold Baines was elected by the Veterans Committee, the Modern Era oh, Committee. Well, well, I'm going yeah. to strike that See, answer from the record. You, you can strike it. Oh, wow. Stricken. So someone that was a shock, well, so that, that jumped 61 percentage points in four years. Was not, what, no, he was the second most. So it wasn't oh, second point 61, but it was a lot. Okay. It was a lot of percent. <laughs> We've had this run now of people getting elected on their in their last year. If that gives you any clue, all right. And they're oh well, no, it doesn't. Well, it should, but it probably doesn't. Uh, about like uh, God Trammell, Alan Trammell, is he a Veterans Club guy? Uh, he's another Veterans Club guy. Okay, yeah. Biggio, that Craig Biggio. All right, yeah, no, let's just. That's just <laughs> it, it, it you know it's hard to think back because it happened last year. Uh, Edgar Martinez was the answer he from 2015 to 2019 he jumped 57.4 percent and we've seen a lot of that man and so it's uh, it's just it's interesting um you know i wrote a column about what we learned from this this hall of fame voting let's talk about some of the stuff we learned doug uh start with larry walker because he did get elected by six votes thrilled that he did what do you think we should make of Larry Walker getting in, besides the fact that that players can now like get on a roll at the end of their time on the ballot, and people kind of figure out what they were, and they get voted in. Um, I think some of this has to do with Coors Field. Do you think that Larry Walker getting elected tells us that these voters now have a better understanding of what Coors Field did and didn't do? in terms of boosting their career. Yeah, I mean, core is definitely, and we talk about it a lot, just the core factor and how you want to re, you know, kind of look at the stats a little bit differently. And there's no doubt it's a super hitters-friendly park. The grass is short. The gaps are huge. The ball carries. 
I mean, everything works to your favor, but Walker is when you start to dissect it, it the guy was just amazing no matter where you put him. Uh, I, so I think that that's part of it. I think there's also, uh, I think there's a big shift generationally about how we're just rethinking Hall of Fame. You know, whether it's the PED fallout or, you know, trying to say, well, this guy played differently or we, we start to look at Dale Murphy, for example, differently. Uh, I, I think the, the shadow of the PEDs has started to come in a, a, through the light a little bit and we're getting more time away from it. And yeah, you can't ever assume what a player did or didn't, but when someone has not really been in the crosshairs of that, it's a little bit easier to sort of look at it. And and also, for example, Edgar, the DH, to seeing what the DH's significance is over time, then all of a sudden gave us a different perspective. So so part of it to me is a, just a, a shift culturally about how we're seeing the game and looking back at it. And I imagine this will happen. You know, I, I don't know what your experience is, but every you know, whatever, 15 years, you look back and say, okay, wait a minute, this is actually what's important. Uh, this is what's changed, and now we see it differently. So, um, I mean, what a hitter he was, though. Incredible. Incredible player. And, uh, you player, know, I think yeah. we'll find out now as we see where Todd Helton goes on the ballot over the next few years, whether people understand the Coors thing, whether this killed the Coors curse. But I think you're exactly right. Like, Larry Walker... He would never have gotten elected, um, I don't know, 10 years ago, five, probably even five years ago. We know it. He was on the ballot. He was getting no support five years ago. And you know why? Because we used to look at magic numbers and counting stats. And we're talking about a guy who didn't hit 400 homers. He hit 383. He didn't get 3,000 hits. He barely got 2,000 hits. And... Like that used to not be enough. We're now looking past the county numbers and we're looking at the rate stats, the other numbers. And Larry Walker was a monster, monster, a 141 OPS plus over the course of his career, which adjusts for ballpark. Um, you know, that puts him, uh, you know, among outfielders who debuted in the last 50 years. Uh, he's in the top four among all of them, right? So that's now how voters vote, and that's a really important shift. Edgar was the same thing. We'll see if it affects, say, Dick Allen on the uh, – yeah. let's see. He's in the uh, golden era ballot coming up next winter. Stay tuned. All right, let's, yeah. let's do a couple of quick hits here. Kurt Schilling, guy I covered, guy you yeah. played with. 70% of the vote. Uh, the last 11 players who got 70% of the vote and still had eligibility remaining all got elected the next year. Is Kurt Schilling going to get elected next year? And if he does get elected, should he mention you in his speech? <laughs> I'm going to say yes and yes. Absolutely. He should. Uh, I think his ERA, <laughs> if I wasn't on his team, was a solid 6.0. Uh, great center field defense. I was trying to help him, but uh, yeah, I, it was it was a lot of fun to play behind him, just because he he really was a surgeon. I mean, really masterful. And and you get that you get that picture when you're in center field like no other. You're just like, wow, this guy is hitting corners wherever the glove was. And he didn't have, you know, before he went to, to Arizona, he didn't really have like nasty secondary pitches. He just had this explosive 
pinpoint located fastball. And, and he knew exactly when he could pump it up at the right time to sort of get the extra hop on it for the strikeout. And he just did it with precision. And uh, so watching him every day, it was like, you know, he'd prep and he'd have his sequence and, okay, I'm going to throw first pitch this. He always had a plan. And, you know, I just enjoyed watching it. And there's pitchers you play behind where the catcher sets up outside and the gloves outside and he's going to hit it. And you as a center fielder, can just start heading in towards the gap, towards the direction of where you know the guy's going to hit it. You can get a two-step jump on it because he's not going to miss. He's not going to miss that badly. No. And so uh, that's what that's what Schilling uh, was able to to show me in his time. And yes, he did kill one of my characters in EverQuest, which led to my vengeance of two home runs off him in one game because of uh, I had to avenge the death of my <laughs> paladin dwarf. Bing bong, but uh, it's okay. I, I, you know, we're we're good. We're good now. Yeah, I know you are. I mean, like that. We, we, it's amazing how many times we've told that story because it never gets old. Never gets old. Um, all right, some quick hits, Doug. Yeah. Scott Rowan took the biggest leap in the voting of anybody except Larry Walker. Is Scott Rowan going to get elected at some point? I think Rowan's going to get there. He's uh. You know, credible third baseman, clearly defensively, but he just a solid, steady, you know, top tier player. And uh, I remember Wayne Gomes saying to him after a game in Tampa, I think he had two home runs in the game. And he said, man, you know, I'm just in awe of you as a player and I would pay to see you. I know I'm your teammate, but I would pay to see you. You know, it was a pretty cool moment because Scott was genuinely embarrassed by it, but uh, humbled by it. So he, he just, uh, you know, and he had a great career. You know, he left Philly, went to St. Louis and, you know, got his World Series and and just solid. So, yeah, I, I think he gets in. Yeah, I agree. I think he's this year's Larry Walker. Um, he <clears throat> took a big leap. He's way ahead of where Walker was after three years. Um, we're out of the era now. These overcrowded ballots with just one legend after another <laughs> a, a debuting on the ballot. I, I think he's going to make it. Uh, Omar Vizquel topped 50% in his third year. That's almost always a sure sign a guy's going to get elected. To find somebody who got to 50% within three years and did not get elected, you have to go all the way back almost 50 years ago to Gil Hodges in 1971. Um, but Omar Vizquel's kind of a polarizing figure in a Jack Morris sort of way. <laughs> What's your prediction on him? Omar Vizquel get in or not? I, I see him getting in just because he said it's like the cultural shift is it's his time. And I mean, he is just, you know, you're talking about, you know, Ozzie Smith level def- defender, you know, he just, and, and, is you he? know, the magic, that, that's the I don't way know people, what the numbers, people are going to object to that. What do the numbers say? The numbers do not support that. They do, yes. the numbers do not support that. Now, I, I, I mean, Ozzie Smith's incredible range and creativity uh, allowed, uh, you know, I, like, the defensive metrics on Ozzy are retroactive because we didn't have StatCast then, right? So right. you're just looking at assist totals, total chance totals, and you're you're, you're applying these retroactively. But Ozzy Smith, if you're just going to use data, was a was a much greater defensive shortstop than Omar Vizquel. But he, you know, I wrote about this the other day. So let me ask you because this is, I think this is an interesting issue for a former player. I, I wrote that. 
the people who are trying to convince us that Omar Vizquel is was not a great defender are trying to use numbers, numbers I respect, by the way, to convince people like me that our eyeballs didn't see what we thought they saw. And are, let me ask you, in this day and age, are we still allowed to use the eye test? <laughs> well, you have a lot more to go up against if you just use the eyeballs. But I'd like to think we... Uh, you know, have some ability to read things. I mean, it's why why things, when we watch these games, you know, we are inspired by it. It's more than just statistics and robots moving around on a computer board. Uh, and that, that Vizquel was absolutely that. I mean, you know, yes, you have the wizard. I mean, he was, he was the magician. And, and just the way he revolutionized things was, was noteworthy. You know, he, the way he turned a double play where he basically never caught the ball. He just used his glove as a paddle and redirected it. I mean, he just had, uh, yeah, obviously amazing hands and, you know, he improved his hitting, you know, it's sort of like Smith did at different times, but at point you're like, Oh, he knocked the bat out of his hand. And then he was like, wait a minute, this guy's a tough out now. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it matters. It should matter. Obviously you need other aspects and he did it over such a long period of time. So that's the Jack Morris, like compiling question, but, uh, it's a great debate, which is why it's an important one to, for baseball and baseball has never shied away from it. So I, I embrace it. It's a really interesting topic. And we'll be thinking about it as long as Omar is on the ballot too. All right, real quick, just this is kind of a yes or no. If you want to give a really quick explanation, you got to keep it to five words or less. Barry Bonds, okay. Roger Clemens made it above 60%, but just barely two years to go. Are they going to get elected? No. No and no. no. Is that, right? I, I need two no's? Yeah, okay, gonna, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we have exit polling now from the uh, Ryan Thibodeau Hall of Fame tracker, and it shows that returning voters are not changing their minds anymore. The people that were open to changing their minds, they did that. Everybody else, returning voters, not doing that. And they, I don't know, they're not, there are not going to be enough new voters to get them those 50-something votes that they need to get elected. So I think no, and then they never get in because no Veterans Committee will ever elect them. Well, okay, especially especially with, especially with this scandal too, with the with the Astro, the sign stealing and all. I think I think it just makes it more allergic with the, with the PED associations. And I just, it, it's just like, a, it's the time we're in right now. Maybe. I don't, I, I don't know how to read it. All right, anyway, let's move along, Doug. Jose Altuve only hit 298 this year, and, and that ended his streak of yeah, the poor guy. That ended his streak of five straight 300 seasons. So, can you guess who now has the longest active streak of 300 seasons? He's done it the last three years in a row, and this is this is harder than I expected. So, here's a clue: he just changed teams oh no this winter yeah i was gonna get it wrong so <laughs> uh <laughs> he just changed his team that eliminates uh, some people right that means oh, it's not like christian was, it, or was it anthony like rendon yes good oh, job right. doug three in a row for anthony rendon so he's the answer um and this is our way of transitioning 
to the Houston Astros. Um, let's talk about it, man. Uh, last oh. weekend in Houston, the Astros, in the wake of their sign-skilling escapades, had their fan fest. So out marched Alex Pregman and Jose Altuve to talk to the media. And now let's listen to how they answered the questions about sign stealing. Like I said, the commissioner made his report, um, made his decision. The Astros made their decision. The commissioner made his report, and um, the Astros made their decision as well. I don't know how, but you got to move forward. We're going to stay together as a team. Uh, I haven't changed my opinion about my teammates. They're the best teammate I ever had. And like I said, we're going to stay together. We're going to hold our hands and move forward to next season. Yep, that's how they answered the questions. Uh, yeah. I didn't hear any I, I'm sorry's. I didn't hear any, we really messed up. I didn't hear any, we crossed the line. I didn't hear any of that. No. Uh, Doug, you've, you've answered a lot of questions in your day. Uh, I've asked a lot of questions. Uh, I've answered a few. Um, let's just imagine you played for the Houston Astros in 2017, 2018. And then you were at FanFest last weekend. Is that how you would have answered <laughs> those questions? <laughs> Please say no. I mean, no, no. But I, I, this is the but part of it, and it's a, it's a great discussion about these codes, right? You have a, you have a code in baseball, not, not unlike law enforcement in the blue line, or, you know, it's, it's a code, and it often is tone deaf when it comes to issues of social consequence that are bigger than your team. Because you get indoctrinated in this idea about you have to protect your team at all costs. You don't, you know, you don't share privacy. You know, I have an article in The Athletic today about, you know, Wayne Gomes used to say, I would not tell anybody publicly what kind of orange juice my teammate drinks, right? So there's that mentality. And, I, and it always falls apart and sounds absolutely off the rails insane when you're trying to explain something that actually has this larger context a context, by the way, that you keep out of your locker room all the time. Stick to sports. Don't talk about that. Keep this here. Keep it in-house. You're so conditioned. And keep in mind, when you create some sort of scheme like this, you're really getting more insular in the way you share information. So it sounds, it, it, it makes actually perfect sense why they're tripping and incapable of coming up with ways to express these ideas because they're so used to pushing everything away to keep the keep the core together and uh, and that that's the cultural challenge and and so when you see I mean it, it, to me it connects very well with with uh, the issue you had with the assistant GM you know ta yelling at the reporter right it's like yeah Taubman right so the idea of well why why are they having these insensitive responses to it well that's that's their mentality and. It, it yeah, and I, I'm not saying I you know condoning it in the sense it just it makes sense to me why they're so uncomfortable, and you know I, you know I read that they're trying to like you know they're going to do something more formal in spring training, and maybe they'll just get more versed you know with their PR team and all this, but you want to hear something you know with with a, a recognition of what happened. You want to see something. And, and obviously, you know, if there's no, you know, legal liabilities, another thing that kind of makes people scared, but the fans are going to need a lot more of the game because this is beyond the Astros and they have to see it that way. And that's where the code has to shift to, to protect the game. And if you can't make that transition, you're really missing the point. 
Well, you explained it. And I, I do think that you've analyzed the way players often think. And I do think that's how this, this unfolded, how this is how these players were thinking. But guess what? I don't think that those answers were devised by Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve. I think somebody within the Astros told them to answer those questions that way. I don't know that, but I, I would bet that, especially because Alex Bregman kept repeating the same stuff over and over and over again. He was like Mark McGuire in front of Congress saying a hundred times, I'm not here to talk about the past. Yes, you are. What do you think you're doing here? And if that was the advice that those players were given by their PR staff or their marketing consultants or whoever the heck came up with that, that was a disaster. Now, I don't, I don't work in media relations. That's not my thing. Uh, I don't work. I'm not a marketing consultant. I'm not a PR consultant. Uh, I'm not even a guy who normally answers questions. I ask questions. But I'm going to do the Astros a favor. Doug, free of charge, <laughs> I'm going to tell them how they should have answered those questions and how when they get to spring training, when they're asked the same stuff over again, how they should answer. Because when you say no right. comment or any version of no comment, you really think that kills a story? All it does is fan the flames. It gives you, it keeps the story alive. It keeps the questions coming. So here, just pretend I'm Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve. Okay, right. here I'm we go. What are you laughing for? <laughs> oh, this is good. I'm like yeah. on the edge of my seat you're, right now. Let's go. Yeah. You're, you know, you just you just having a hard time imagining me as Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman. But all right, um, here we go. I'm going to answer now. I promise. Uh, we want to take this time to apologize to every fan of baseball, every fan of the Astros, every other team and player who's lost respect for us or trust in us because of this situation. What we did was wrong. We crossed the line. We're sorry. But you know what? We look at this season as an opportunity. This is a chance for us to regain your trust and regain your respect by how we go about it this season. It's a chance to prove that everything we've done over these last few years was because we have a great team with great players, not because we were cheating. We hope people will give us that chance. But in the meantime, we're sorry. What we did was wrong, and we owe it to baseball to apologize. How do you like that answer? Would that have worked? I like, I like it. Make sure, so you're, make, sure the code. Yeah, make sure your lawyer is there behind you just in case. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's tragic, actually. It's tragic. And I, I just hope that they shift uh, shift gears quickly for for spring training. Whoever their manager is, by the way, that's a, another <laughs> problem that they have. There's nobody there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's there, there's also that. But you know, you've just because of what they've done, they got to realize now everything's different in baseball, and there's an there's going to be eyeballs on everything they do this year, on and off the field. And the, just that's not just them. 
This is about the whole sport. Um, everything is different in the game. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to this as we continue in this podcast. But it's time, Doug, for the fourth inning. And that means our listener question. We look forward to this. It allows you, our favorite listeners, to be part of this podcast. We're going to tell you how you can be a part of this podcast in a moment. But just to recap what this is, uh, you submit a trivia question that you think will definitely stump me and stump Doug. Uh, Then uh, the newly elected evil mayor of Starkville, Cam, is going to decide, yeah, that's a good one. They'll never get this one right. So he'll we'll pose the question, then we'll get it wrong, then we'll use something in that question to talk about in the fourth inning, something like that. Okay, so we, we've had a bunch of questions lately from like some of our favorite Twitter follows, our friends, uh, our favorite great statistical minds. We get another one this week, man. It, this week's question comes from one of the great producers of fun statistical nuggets that I know, a guy named Ryan Spader. Uh, You can find Ryan on Twitter at the Ace of Spader. That's the Ace of S-P-A-E-D-E-R. Ryan, that's your 15 seconds of fame right there. Now, here's the question that he asked. Doug, are you ready? Yes. Who's the only pitcher in baseball history to win a World Series game in his 20s, his 30s, and his 40s. Oh. And you know what, Doug? I got last the last question. I think I know this one, too. But if you want to take a guess first, you can, or you can just let me handle it. I mean, well, I'm thinking Yankees, right? I mean, that's a lot of decades to be in the World Series. So, I mean, that's, that's about all I got right now. Um, Winning a World Series in his 20s, 30s. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Some Yankee must have done it, says Doug Glanville. That's not going to work. See, uh, Ryan Spader, he's a fan of baseball, but I know that he loves the Phillies. I know that it's Hall of Fame election week. And you know Mm. who I think it is? I think it's Curt Schilling. I think 93 Phillies in his 20s. 2001 oh, Diamondbacks right. in his 30s. Like, I'm not sure he if 40? He, was yeah, 40 he was 40 yet when he won that game for the 2007 Ooh. Red Sox. But that's my guess, that's Kurt one. Schilling. That's, so let's bring in I the like mayor. I'll, I'll support that. All right. Doug supports it. I can't deny that support to Doug. That's a great guess, Jason. And it's right <laughs> on target. Kurt right. Schilling winning his age 26 wow. season, age 34 season, and age 40 season. Nice, right at 40. Wow, that's a good question. I got two in a row, Doug. (laughs) Two in a row. (laughs) Wow. I I am Wink Martindale. I really am. (laughs) Um, That's uh, that's exciting. Now, I can't even focus on continuing this podcast, but I'm going to try because I'm trying to think, like, what can we do with that question? A guy who won a World Series game in his 20s, 30s, and 40s. So uh, here's an idea. How about... You're going to pick the greatest pitcher after age 40 in the history oh. of oh. baseball. Oh, boy. I'll give you some choices. How about that? Yeah. Uh, okay. Bartolo Colon. Uh, won, nope. Won 76 off. games. Hit a home run. Uh, <laughs> and he's Bartolo. Nolan Ryan. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Like that 1,400 one. strikeouts in his 40s. 1,400. Yeah. Uh, Phil Necro, 121 wins after turning 40. That's a lot, man. Wow. That's the most ever. Uh, Jamie Moyer, 105 wins after turning 40. Also gave up 222 home runs after he turned 40. He is the all-time record holder. And I could throw Satchel Page in there, but like it's kind of a separate category, you know, because he kept coming back as sort of a right. gimmick. 50s, 70s. So what do you got, Doug? Uh, I, you know, I'd face Phil Necro in the Hall of Fame game, and I popped out to second base. So that was kind of weird, uh, you know, so – but. <laughs> Uh, I, I have to go with Nolan Ryan. I mean, it's just the power game to be dominant in the 40s, even though like the craftiness, I appreciate the adaptation, but man, just still bringing the heat. And he was just a just an anomaly, almost like a comet coming by baseball. But so I'll go with, you know, Nolan and the big arm. You don't think Bartolo was an, an anomaly? Yeah, Did you well, see that home run trot. Yeah, you know he, <laughs> he's fun. He was, was a lot of fun. I give him the fun points. Yes, absolutely. Very enjoyable. Nominalistic as it as it comes. All right, I think you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on this one. Uh, now, if you would like to submit one of these trivia questions, all you need to do is you can send it by Twitter, or you can send it by email. Um, if you want to email us a question, the address is. Starkville with an E at theathletic.com, or you can tweet it at me at Jason ST at Jason with a YST, or you can tweet it at Doug at my name. Where you is, this is very simple. This is very simple <laughs> at Doug Glanville, D O U G G L A N V I L L E. There you go. Doug wins the spelling bee once again. Just hashtag those questions with the hashtag StarkvilleQS, Starkville with an E-Q-S. Now, that is it for Starkville for some of you. But if you're an athletic subscriber, guess what? You can keep on listening. Uh, you have to go to the athletic app or the athletic website. Um, but you can only do that if you're an athletic subscriber. But we know you want to be a subscriber. Uh, so you, to do that and get 30% off, go find the link that you first clicked on to find us here, and that'll accomplish all that stuff. You'll be a subscriber, you get your 30% off, and then you can keep listening to this podcast. But if you're not doing that, if you're leaving us, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon on Starkville. Starkville.